Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 21. And don't forget, all parents will have to go and retrieve their child from the kids' club room at the end of worship. Acts 21. As we come to the, the really the last section of Acts and uh, the last portion of Paul's life as it is laid out in the ministry, um, we see some, some great things that go on here, but also some good questions for us as, that we will wrestle with an attempt to understand what the Lord is telling us today and how he's working in our lives. So if you are able, would you stand with me, and I will read Acts 21, 1 through 26. So let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity to open your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will descend and speak to us, Lord. Enliven our hearts, open our eyes, that our eyes might see and our ears might hear. And also, Lord, that we might understand how you now call us to live because of what is here. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 21, beginning verse 1. And when it came about that we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Cause, and to the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo." And after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And when it came about that our days there were ended, we departed and started on our journey, while they all with wives and children escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there for some days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, we've seen Agabus before, okay, back in... Chapter 9, maybe, uh, or, or earlier. but uh, So his name is uh, somewhat familiar to us. Verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet. And, and he prophesied of famine in Jerusalem. Okay, All this is coming back to me now as we read. Okay, uh, Instead of 2 o'clock this morning, it's coming back now. Okay, and, he, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said... This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, well, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus." And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. And after these things, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nansen of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren 
brethren received us gladly. Now the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands were Thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? Well, they will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrifice to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Just so that we have a a clear view of what this last section means, there were Jews that were... um, they were really disappointed in Paul, and they were looking for excuses to arrest him and excuses to persecute him. And they were saying and, and spreading this rumor that, that he's kind of pitched out everything from Moses, and you don't have to pay attention to that anymore. Um, and, and so to, to kind of prove that wrong, they are suggesting to him that they take these individuals who are under a Nazarite vow because it says they shave their head. So Nazarite vow would be something that you could take for life. Uh, the, the most famous one, there are two famous ones, probably John the Baptist and Samson. Uh, you know, Samson got into trouble when, what's her face, uh, Dorothy Lamour, whoever cut, her, cut his hair off or whatever. Okay? And, and, and so you, when your vow is complete, you go up and, and knowing that you have uh, achieved whatever it was you wanted to achieve during this time of separation, um, and for work, then you cut your hair, you paid this amount that was set aside, and you did it at the temple. So Paul takes these guys up, and he does all this with them, and pays their tax for them, etc., um, as a sign that he has not pitched out everything from the past, uh, but he has taken on, it doesn't show it, but he's, he's you know, obviously he's taken on the things of Christ. But he doesn't want to alienate the Jews who think that he has pitched out everything from Moses. Remember what we read earlier. Paul says, I become weak so that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might win some to Christ. So that is what is going on there at the end. Now, really, we're going to deal with the first section here and and the struggle to determine God's will. So I want you to understand that I am positive that it was God's will for me to get out of bed this morning. And I am positive that it was God's will for me to come to church this morning as a believer and be part of the body of Christ and to worship Him. And I am pretty sure He wants me to take a nap this afternoon. (laughs) But I'm not positive that's His will, okay? Now, there are some things in life that we can be pretty positive that that is God's will. And then other things we kind of hope 
it's his will that we get a nap in on Sunday afternoon. Um, Now, there was a time and there have been times when the Lord made his will known in a very clear way. He would communicate it audibly or by dreams or by visions or his designated prophet would show up and they would say, thus says the Lord, and everybody would know what God's will was. And I sometimes think that those days would be easy, wouldn't they? You know, here comes... Amos, or no, we don't like what Amos said. Here comes uh, Isaiah, here comes Jeremiah, here comes Ezekiel, and they're going to tell us what God wants us to do, right? So we don't have to think, we don't have to uh, assume anything. If we're going to invade a country, if we're Israel, if we're going to figure out how to treat one another, if we're going to try to figure out what God's will for us is, we check with the prophet and he tells us what it is. Thus says the Lord, This is how you are to act. This is how you are to live. Now, the problem was the people in the Old Testament didn't always like what the prophets said, okay? Uh, Because they were always... uh... Now, Now, we don't understand this, but they were always in this pattern. Obedience to the Lord and blessing. And then things would get good, and then they would kind of pitch out the Lord and maybe uh, worship an idol or sacrifice a child now and then, and then the, the... punishment of the Lord would come upon his covenant people and then they would repent and come back up I mean that's foreign to us Uh, our faith is always so even and trusting right maybe maybe not I don't know they didn't always want to do the clearly revealed will of the Lord it was often contrary to their own desires their own selfish desires. So often they ignored the messenger, or what would they do? They'd kill the messenger, try to kill the prophet of God. Now, I have friends who tell me that they have received clear messages from the Lord on a regular basis, what they should do, who they should talk to, how they should should respond to certain things. And when they say these things, we always check with Scripture. Does it jive with Scripture? Because we know Scripture is the revealed word of God. And if it jives with Scripture, then we're all in. If it doesn't jive with Scripture, if it runs contrary, uh, then it's out. If it doesn't confirm it in some way, we wait for confirmation on these things. Now, I have friends who have had dreams about people, uh, about situations that they have done. And I have to say every now and then, I get a dream about something in a way that I should act or perhaps somebody that I should go and, and speak to. And I always look for confirmation in these things. Okay? Is this something that I should do? Or is this just a manifestation of my subconscious? Uh, understand I was a psychology major. I did a lot of study in dreams. So it's either a manifestation of your subconscious or your, uh, Jung would say, it's your, uh, what, your primordial self coming out in dreams. Or maybe it was just too much pizza too late at night. Okay? Or maybe it was the Lord prompting you to go and do something and placing upon your conscience an action that you need to pursue. Well, Paul knew God's will for his life. It was clear. Christ came to him on the road to Damascus. The Holy Spirit taught him in the desert for three years. The Lord made some things plainly clear to him. Back in chapter 9, it says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, what an introduction to Jesus Christ. There you are on the road, and you're blinded, and for three days, and you're taken off to the house of Ananias, and the Lord says, Paul, I've changed your life, 
And now I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer because I changed your life. Not a real enticing thing for the Christian life. But yet, when the Lord comes face to face, so to speak, and tells you these things, you better be all in. And it's a pretty clear indication of what was in store for Paul. Okay, but in our world, understand, in our world, if the Lord says, I'm going to show you how much you have to suffer, well, maybe you've got a smartphone and a laptop and your desktop at work and all those things are synced up and you've got your schedule laid out every day and it's in 30-minute increments or maybe you're really obsessive and you've got it laid out in 15-minute increments about what you've got to do and, and, and your, your time management and all those things. And then you go home and you look at the big calendar you have at home. See, we have a big calendar in our, in our um, pantry, and, and everybody's schedule's laid out on that, okay? And so you know when your kids are going somewhere, uh, who they're going to be with, where your dog is going, where you're going, all those things are laid out, okay? And so we've got our schedules pretty well set, And Lord, if I'm going to suffer, I want to be able to put it into the schedule, okay, so it doesn't mess up everything else. That's not the way it was for Paul. He says, you will suffer. This will be your life. You will spread the gospel. You will do fabulous things. You will suffer for the sake of Christ. Well, how are we going to know the will of the Lord in our lives? Well, we will never know or accept God's will until we know and accept who he is and how he acts in this world. Who he is and how he acts in this world. How he says he acts. Not how we think he should act or how we want him to act, but how he acts and how he says he will act in this world. Once we understand that, then Accepting and pursuing his will is a whole lot easier. Is a whole lot easier. Something happens in our life and we don't like, we're quick to, that can't be the will of God. It wasn't good. We see what we call a terrible event and we ask, well, was God in that event? What's, what we're going to wrestle with this morning is difficult for mature believers to understand. I think it is impossible for non-believers to understand. It is impossible to believe Unless you are a believer, and it is very difficult to understand, unless you are a mature believer, that God is in control of everything, and he is ordering everything according to his will. According to his will. All we have to do is, the easy part is to live in that will, right? Ah. Now, I have, I have friends whose families have tried, have tried and tried to persuade, dissuade them from going on to the mission field. They tried everything that they could to talk them out of it. You will suffer great hardships. Your health will suffer. The health of your children will suffer. Your children will receive a, 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 a sub, subpar education. They'll never catch up with the kids who are in this country. Um, you're throwing away all that money that we spent on your education. I had one guy knew he was leaving his medical practice to go to seminary, and his parents were just pulling their hair out about it, and their friends couldn't understand. You know, if you go to that country, you're going to live on a, on a hut, on a dirt floor. They don't even have running water in that country. Are you out of your mind? It's too risky. There are too many sacrifices. And sometimes the counsel of friends filtered through their own prism of their own fears and their own concerns for safety can be misguided. 
And like Paul, we have to determine if we're going to do the right thing and pursue God's will, or are we going to listen to these other things? Now, something Jesus said, remember, it's going to be necessary for you to forsake everything. And if you're not willing to leave your father and your mother and everybody else that you love, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Now, as an aside, if anybody here is going to the Dominican Republic with the group in June, whether you're going for the month or whether you're going for the week, understand you go to serve. You go to serve. You are not important except in your capacity to serve others. Your pride and your comfort and your own problems, they stay here in Huntsville. When you go to another country like that, you are there in a short-term time to give all that you have to people who have so little, so little. God will use you in a powerful and miraculous way if you're all in. If you're only half in, you're going to be used in a little bit. God wants you all in on these types of trips. doesn't matter whether you're in the construction crew or the medical crew, or it doesn't matter if your job is going to be to sit there out in the sun and play with the kids while their parents are seeing the doctors. That is your ministry. Give yourself away in this ministry. doesn't matter whether you're going to haul bags of cement or haul buckets of sand all week you're going to serve christ in the capacity that he calls you to do so pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow him so for the days that you were there whether it's 30 days or whether it's 70 days this is the call of the lord upon your heart and if you have an adequate understanding of god you'll be able to handle whatever kind of suffering that you have whatever kind of hardship that you face you'll know that it's there and you're called to serve in the midst of it, in the midst of it. So let me remind you that following God, following God's will is not like going to a restaurant and picking up a menu and saying, I want some of this and I want some of this and I don't want mayo on my burger. It's, it's taking the menu and there's only one thing on the menu and it's God's will. And you want it or you don't. You're going to be all in or all out. So following God's will is accepting who he is and how he acts in the world and then living with and in that knowledge. That's following God's will. Now in the early 1940s, the president of Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, his name was uh, Lewis Sperry Chafer, gave a brief banquet speech. And if you've ever been to a fundraising banquet Brief banquet speeches are not the norm, okay? Having been to them and having spoken at them, they are not the norm, okay? Well, he was introduced at the main speaker after a very long program, and when he stood up, he announced his subject, the reasonableness of fully surrendering our lives to God. And the reports are when he gave that topic, there were a couple audible moans oh, gosh, okay, within the audience. Then he gave his message in the form of a proof. Premise one, God is all wise and knows better than anyone else what is best for my life. Premise number two, he is almighty and has the power to accomplish what is best for me. Premise number three, God loves me more than anyone else does. Therefore, the most logical thing I can do is surrender my life to God. That's all I have to say. And he sat down. Now that's a good and powerful and correct 
way to look at the will of the Lord. All right, so what's going on in our passage this morning? This brings us to the issue of determining God's will in our life. Now, if you were hoping to get four ways to determine the will of God in your life, you're not going to get it, okay? Determine the will of God in your life. Understand who he is and how he acts in the world. That's the first way, the most important way. If you don't like who he is, if you don't like the way he acts in this world, if you don't like the way he says he is, you're in trouble. You are in big trouble. Let's look at verse 21, chapter 21, verse 13. Now, understand, back here, well, we'll get there in a minute. 21, 13. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Paul says, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem. The issue here is, should Paul go to Jerusalem? And how do we determine the will of God? It is, is it God's will that he go to Jerusalem? Paul says, I'm ready to die. I'm all in for Jerusalem. I'm all in for Jerusalem. Turn back a page and look at chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, most of Paul's godly friends who are around him are saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They hate you there. Don't go there. I mean, they're going to kill you. Don't you understand? Paul says, my life is not important. To live as Christ, to die is gain. He says, I am all in for Jerusalem. I am all in for Jerusalem. Now, the, the struggle that we have here, look at verse 4 of chapter 21. The struggle that we're, we face in determining the will of God in this little passage, and it was, if it wasn't for this one word, we would have it pretty easy. Verse 4, and after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul, through the Spirit, through the Spirit. It doesn't say by the Spirit. It doesn't say according to the Spirit. It says through the Spirit. Now, if that said, if that little, little word wasn't there, this would be a much easier passage to understand. Now, these people loved Paul, and they didn't want him to go there because they knew he was hated by the Jews. They knew that his life was in danger if they went, so they said, through the Spirit. Now, does this mean that the Spirit was communicating through them and telling Paul not to go, and then Paul was simply disobedient? Now, I don't know if you've ever had a clear sense that the Lord wants you to do something and went, I just don't hear that. Okay, or you read something in Scripture and it confirmed what you thought, and you immediately turned the page and said, "I'm going to going on to another page because I don't like that." Okay, it is a terrible thing to be disobedient to the Lord, to have a clear leading of what you should do and go, "No, I am not doing that." Sometimes the Lord is patient and will help you mature and grow, and other times. They're just in trouble, okay? Other times to be disobedient from the Lord is to be just in deep, deep trouble. Now, let's look at this. Through the Spirit means through the exercise of a spiritual gift. And in the early church, there were many who had the gift of prophecy. And in the early church, you've got two kinds of prophetic voices that speak. One example is 1 Corinthians 14 where it says... 
this prophetic voice was preaching, and it was described as edification, consolation, and exhortation, pretty much what is going on right now. Okay, preaching was one form of prophecy. Secondly, the gift of prophecy was also predictive. It had a predictive form. So God would speak practical things regarding the life of the church in a predictive form. We see much more of this in the Old Testament as we see, as we mentioned, the prophets that I spoke about earlier. So it's not conclusive what it means, but let's look at some other things here that we may uh, understand. Because if it's prophecy, you like confirmation of the prophecy. Here we are on Sunday morning at church. And someone stands up right in the middle of the service and says, I've got a prophecy from the Lord that we need to fire Randy. I'm going to, we'll have to have confirmation on that, okay, before we we act upon that prophecy. Now, Now, somebody stands up in the middle of the worship and says, Randy is a serial murderer, and I think we ought to fire him. Well... One of, of a couple police officers in the congregation comes forward and puts me in handcuffs because they have been watching me and they know that I'm responsible for the death of 28 people in the last two years. Okay, So off we go. That's a pretty good confirmation that that's prophecy from the Lord. Okay, You can fire me if that's what happens. Okay? So there, there's these two kinds of things. Well... Somebody says, through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. And I think this is one of those times when their personal feelings got the best of them in the exercise of what the Lord was doing in and amongst them. Okay, They love for Paul. They said, Paul, don't do that. It's going to cost you your life. And it's these, these feelings, this, these tender hearts. It would be like your daughter comes home from Auburn after two years of college and says, Mom and Dad, I think I, uh, the Lord wants me to go to uh, Africa and to work in an orphanage for children with AIDS. And I'm signed up and I'm leaving next fall. Okay? And you, your parent's heart is just torn out and you're thinking, I'm, sending my, I'm going to let my daughter go to Africa for the next couple years to work in some place that doesn't have running water or flush toilets and she's going to eat bugs and things like that and she's going to work with kids that have AIDS and you go, no, that is not God's will for you. God's will is that you go back to Auburn and become an engineer like your mother and father. Ooh, that's a struggle, Okay. Here you have somebody who's searching out God's will, but your tender heart and your love for your daughter says you cannot go and do that. We look for confirmation. We look for confirmation. How did Paul determine the will of God? Last week in Sunday school I used a phrase. It was called um, a long obedience in the same direction. And I just I remember that phrase, so I looked it up, and it's by Frederick Nietzsche, who did not believe in God. And that's where it comes from. Well, Paul's life and his ability to determine the will of God was because he had a long obedience in the same direction. He was going in the same direction that God was since the day he met him on the road to Damascus. He was seeking after him with all that he was. From the moment he met Christ, he was moving in that same direction. He was learning. He was growing. He was maturing. Go back to chapter 20. And let's read verse verse 23 here. He was learning and growing in his understanding of what the Lord wanted him. And now he was quite confident in his path. Verse 23 of chapter 20. 
except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul didn't have to wonder what was going to happen in the next city. He knew what awaited him, bonds and afflictions, bonds and afflictions, bonds and afflictions. That's what was in front of him. That's what was in front of him. Remember back in, I quoted it, chapter 9 earlier, the Lord has instructed me, this is Ananias saying to Paul, to show you and tell you about the things which you are going to have to suffer. So suffering was no surprise to Paul. He knew what was coming. So to be obedient, he was, uh, Paul was, was right to live in the sensitivity to the Lord and to seek after him all the time. And to be obedient, he knew the dangers that lay before him. And Paul is heading in the very same direction that his Lord and Savior did. And we've already seen he is willing to give up his life for the things of Christ. I must go to Jerusalem. Don't you understand? I have to go to Jerusalem. Now there are a couple of promises from various sources that the Lord gives us when we attempt to discern his will. Number one, Jesus never asks us to do anything without promising his presence. He will be with us. Philippians chapter 4 says the Lord is at hand. He is right there in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our persecution, in the midst of our tough decision, whatever it would be. The great Puritan Richard Baxter says, Christ leads us through no darker rooms than he went through before. Christ leads us through no darker rooms than he went through before. Secondly, at every stage of the Christian life, we are asked to bear the cross. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for two months. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 20 years or 50 or 60 years. You are called to bear the cross. And you're thinking, well, Rand, I'm, uh, I'm somewhere over 75, okay? And I don't think I have to bear the cross anymore. I've bared, bared it. I have bored it for many years. And I'm on, what, retirement now, Sorry. You bear the cross until you stand before the Lord in heaven. This is what we are called to do. Let this mind be in you from Philippians, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Don't be surprised if after constantly pursuing God, you find that he repeatedly shows you you must bear the cross and deny yourself. Lord, I want to know your will. Give me your will. Bear the cross and deny yourself. And our experience will bring blessing to others. Remember what Paul said in Philippians. The consequence of being arrested and taken to Rome was that the entire Praetorian guard heard the gospel. Was that worth being arrested and being taken to Rome? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And number three. Paul's ready to die. We've seen it. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He had no fear of death. Whatever the Lord called him to do, he was ready to go and to do it. So Paul's understanding of and his trust in the will of the Lord did not come in fits and starts. It didn't come like here and there and here and there. It came from a life of understanding that God was sovereign, he was in control of all things, and that Paul was in his hand. And he would pursue whatever the, the Lord called him to do. I'll give you another example. Soon after the beginning of the reign of Mary in England, that would be Bloody Mary in England, an officer 
was being sent out, or officers were being sent out, to arrest various preachers and bring them back to London for trial. They were all guilty of the same thing, preaching the word of God and disputing with the Roman theologians. They were disagreeing. A particular officer went to the home of a preacher named Hugh Latimer and to bring him to London. Now, Latimer was instrumental in spreading the Reformed faith in England under Edward VI. Now, Latimer had about six hours' notice. The people had gotten to him ahead of time and said, hey, they're coming to arrest you. So instead of fleeing, Latimer went up and he began to pack his things and prepare, and he waited very calmly. And when the officer walked in the door, he said, my friend, come in. You're welcome here. And I go willingly to London to give an account of my faith as ever I went to any place in the world. And I doubt not that as the Lord made me worthy formally to preach to two excellent princes, he will now enable me to bear witness to the truth before the third, either to her eternal comfort or to her eternal discomfort. And off they went to London where Bloody Mary burned him along with Nicholas Ridley at the stake. Now, as the flames were coming up around Latimer, he was heard to say, We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. And that was the costliest fire that the Roman Catholic Church ever lit in England, for it flamed the English Reformation that went on. The man who had conviction and courage of his conviction to stand no matter what the cost said, this is God's will. How do I know it is God's will? Because he had had a long obedience in the same direction as our Heavenly Father. Now, much of God's will is revealed to us in his commands and his promises. You fill your mind with his commands and his promises, and you will know his will. Now, you don't need to pray for guidance in certain areas, okay? In fact, you're sinning if you plainly know God's will and don't go and do it. Or if you pray, Lord, is this your will? I've told you it's my will. You really need to pray about whether or not you should marry that nice non-believer? No, that's pretty clear in Scripture. You should not marry even the nice non-believer. You should not be unequally yoked. God has revealed his will in that. Um, Randy, I'm in a very unhappy marriage. Should I, should I seek God's will? Is it his will that I stay or is it his will that I go? It is his will that you stay and pray for your heart that it might be transformed. Pray for the heart of your spouse that it may be transformed as well. Now, these are just two, two I picked. There are many decisions laid out in God's word for us that are reflective of his character. We simply need to understand and obey those commands and those principles that are in his revealed word. All right. You want to understand God's will? Accept. Rejoice in and live out the plain things that are taught in his word. And what he calls every believer to in this life. He is sovereign. He is just. He is perfect. He loves you more than anybody else in this world. And he never calls you to something unless he enables you to do it. Well, how shall I live then? You shall live in the fullness and the power that he provides. That's God's will for your life. Let's pray. Lord, we have looked at the big picture of your will here. And that we will never be satisfied with the things in this world or our search for your will until we understand how you act.
until we understand why you say these things are right and these things are wrong and you don't need to pursue the things that are wrong because God has said they're wrong. Or this is his character. This is the way that he functions and this is the way that he calls us to live. Once we can rest in the fact that you are sovereign and your hand of providence is working in this world and in our lives and you you call us to obedience to these plain things that are before us, then we can begin to understand your will in some of the more particular questions in our lives. We can hear your voice a little bit clearer when we know that you are in control of all things. We can rest in your care when we know that we can never be taken from your hand that you are there with us at all times and in every situation. Lord, if there are those here today that are struggling with these things, to discern your will, open their hearts and minds to the things of your word, the things of your character that they might understand, that they would pursue what is right and what is holy and what is just, that their decision would be reflective of your character that their choices that they might be struggling with that their understanding of what they should do should be made clear because of what your word says and who you are and that they would be reminded that it's this way because you love them more than anything else or anyone else fix these things in our hearts we ask this in christ's name amen